Hi, we're Cardigan Academy, your helpers for all things mental health, parenting, and education. I'm Devani. And I'm Stacy. And we're on summer break. We'll be re-releasing some of our favorite episodes. Have a great summer. Today we're continuing our series on brain chemicals by discussing oxytocin. So I spell things in my head without trying, like just I'm always picturing words in my head and how they're spelled. And if they're very, very similar, (laughs) I have to think really hard about what the word actually is. I do this with people's names. If they're the same number of letters and three of the letters are the same, I think really hard before I say their name to make sure I got it right. And so I'm, I told Devani before we recorded this that I'm really paranoid that I'm going to mean to say, see, I'm thinking <laughs> oxytocin, but when I get on a roll and I'm talking, I might say oxycontin or oxycodone because they're similar. We can just dub this in oxytocin. That's Google's pronunciation. And so anytime, don't worry, we're just going to go with it. (laughs) I can't wait to hear this podcast. (laughs) And then Stacey said it's like Craig Ferguson, right? Yes. When he swears, they dub in something. They cover his mouth with a little flag of a country. So if it's like France's, it'll be, he'll be like, and I told them, ooh la la, you. (laughs) (laughs) Or I caramba. And then we found out that we share a love of Craig Ferguson. Like, yeah, he was such a low budget late night host, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is part of the reason why the people that would beep out his language had to be really quick and on the fly and why they would use the little <laughs> flags and I cut umba. <laughs> and also it was interesting because we came back to oxytocin in our conversation about this because I was saying I would be up in the middle of the night with my son and we would actually sleep downstairs because he had reflux and it was four months of very difficult nights but i would wake up and breastfeed him while i was watching craig ferguson so part of my love for craig ferguson comes from the oxytocin release from breastfeeding my son (laughs) i love that I love that. So oxytocin is called the love hormone. It's technically a neuropeptide. It's produced in the hypothalamus. It's secreted by the pituitary gland. And in mammals, it is responsible for a lot of the process of birth and what follows. So the uterine contraction during labor, the milk quote unquote, they call it let down. We'll talk a little bit more about breastfeeding too. The set in for the maternal nurturing to take care of the baby and then the uterine contractions after delivery that allow your 
uterus to go back to its pre-pregnancy size. So we used to think that it was only in mammals and primarily a mother-baby brain chemical, but it was really exciting to dig into a lot of research that tells us otherwise. It's like you said earlier, it's the love hormone. Um, it does seem to, it, it's linked to bonding, but you're right with other things even outside of that. So hugging someone can also release oxy oxytocin <laughs> and we couldn't actually find an, a, a specific scientific uh, study but a lot of stuff seems to point toward 20 seconds being the magic number like you it's not a quick hug it's a lot you're, you're almost like more holding each other for a little bit and that closeness releases oxytocin which also helps you bond with that person Right. It's a cycle. So, you know, not, maybe not hugging a stranger, but hugging someone that you're already familiar and close with continues that release of oxytocin. So then you're bonding. So then you want to hug. It's a cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's interesting. I've heard a lot of people say over the past 15 months of a global pandemic that that's something a lot of people have mentioned missing. They're mm -hmm. missing hugs. And I, it is, it's something I knew I was missing but kind of coming out of it and being able to get together with vaccinated friends and hug each other, I did not realize how much, like, I missed it. I even, <laughs> I even have a friend who is not a hugger at all. And when I saw him for the first time, and he's vaccinated and I'm vaccinated, my, my friend Carl, I opened up my arms wide and gave him like this mischievous look like, coming in for a hug. And then I said, nah, I'm just kidding, because he's not a hugger. And it's something we joke about. And he looked at me and he's like, yeah, but you know what? He's like, I know I'm not a hugger, but I, I actually really missed it. And oh, come on. <laughs> so he's like, he gave me this big hug and it was so nice. Like we, everyone's missing that. And part of it is being with other people. But I wonder if part of it isn't this shared bonding and closeness that is a part of life that adds that richness and enjoyment to our day-to-day -day life. Yeah, another thing I read was that we should strive for eight hugs a day. Wow. So just think of, you know, however many people in your family and kind of divide it out. I should be giving each of them at least three a day to make that quota. Wow. I used to be a contributing writer on a website called Breastfeeding Place. It's breastfeedingplace.com. And I wrote an article about breastfeeding and the connection with oxytocin several years ago. So. I guess I've just always been very interested in neuroscience. But I remember, I have vivid memories of sometimes, you know, I would be out and about and maybe the kids would need to breastfeed and it would be a very inconvenient time, just like where we were. And did you, I don't know, did you ever experience this? Like you're nursing, but you haven't, your milk hasn't let down. Wait, is this like right after birth, you mean? No, even like maybe we had to pull over and we're in the backseat of the car and oh, oh, okay. traffic's going. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, my mind is like not in the nursery in the rocker <laughs> in our pajamas after a bedtime ritual. You know, I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, I got to feed this kid. And I would think about the neuroscience behind the oxytocin and the letdown. And I would look at my baby, look at their face and their little hands. And think about how much I love them. And there's the milk. Yeah, it was mm -hmm. amazing. Or sometimes, you know, sometimes you would have an emotional reaction to something and your baby wasn't around and you would start 
mm-hmm. leaking because yeah or you're at a store and you hear a baby crying and you're like uh-oh i gotta get home <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's very very interesting how it's all connected and um they've even done studies with fathers and how they also have an oxytocin release when bonding with new babies and we we watched a ted talk as well which said that testosterone can interfere with oxytocin it was a ted talk by paul zach it's called trust morality and oxytocin and we'll link to it in the show notes but it was very interesting because um he he had a hypothesis that oxytocin is not just related to love and bonding but also trust yeah that was pretty fascinating to me too because i love social psychology and Mm -hmm. emotional stuff and so and i love science so it's just like the perfect blend of like wait a second there's a whole other layer to this beyond childbirth and breastfeeding and and it's interesting you brought up earlier about the uh uterine contractions after giving birth somehow did you know that was going to happen before you gave birth like i didn't know that know that it was going to contract after yeah i had a c-section so everything was a little oh okay but were you told if like even in a did you go to classes or anything i did actually you want to talk about uterine contraction? <laughs> yes, please. We were in the delivery <laughs> labor class and they had us blow up a balloon and that's the uterus. And then they had you put a ping pong ball inside of it. And that's the baby, I guess. <laughs> and then you were supposed to contract the balloon until the neck of the balloon, which I guess was like the cervix, would eventually dilate. Our balloon pop. <laughs> and I needed a C-section then. So, I mean, <laughs> we should have just gone out to dinner. But like, <laughs> <laughs> Screw it. We're going to Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a metaphor. Very foreshadowing. <laughs> I just, I felt like there were things they didn't tell, like I delivered, I remember I delivered my baby and then they were like, okay, now we're going to deliver the placenta. Mm -hmm. And I was like, come again? (laughs) Like, what do you mean? I thought that was, it's amazing how much we kind of don't like ready for childbirth and, Mm -hmm. and even like, you know, breastfeeding and cutting the cord and, you know, washing the baby and skin to skin and all this stuff. But I didn't know you delivered placenta afterwards Mm -hmm. and that there were these more painful uterine, also when you're breastfeeding, like that actually stimulates it. So when you're breastfeeding right after that releases oxytocin, which continues the uterine contractions to bring it back to but you're right. I do. Yeah. Now that you're saying that, I do remember it was very painful for probably two, maybe close to two months after. You mean like nursing and feeling? The yeah. Control? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't know that. Like you learn pretty quickly, like, oh, OK, it's the uterine contractions. But yeah, it's like it's linked. Yeah. And that's why Pitocin is like a pharmaceutical replacement mm-hmm. for oxytocin. So that's what they use to induce labor. And speed it up, right? If it's stronger, yeah. if it's more Pitocin. I thought it was also interesting in the TED Talk that they said that they're starting to study that those with low oxytocin in the brain, there might be a link to being sociopaths. 
Really? Yeah, because I was thinking, you know, if we have low serotonin, you're depressed or you have anxiety and that affects you mostly, those around you too. But, you know, it's like an inward struggle. Whereas, mm -hmm. isn't it interesting that we're just now learning that there's a link with other neurochemicals, but with the oxytocin, it's whether or not you bond with people, whether or not you feel empathy or feel guilty conning someone. So, okay. So if someone's low, got low dopamine or serotonin, there are medicines for that. Mm -hmm. If someone has low oxytocin, well, in the talk, it was interesting because he, Paul Zach said that they can actually, two things, they can test the oxytocin level in someone's blood, which, hmm. which he said was very convenient for studies because you don't have to, uh, it's not invasive. And um, he talked about taking blood samples before and after the vows of a wedding. It, wow. I highly recommend the TED Talk. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. But the other thing he said was, they do nasal sprays for oxytocin. And so when he was doing these studies, he would let someone do the nasal spray and then continue on with the study. So I was also reading articles that said that is available if someone has a traumatic birth, let's say, and is having trouble bonding with the baby. You know, maybe there are ways to start to offer these to people that might be struggling. Wow. And with everything we talk about with childhood trauma, because all the work we do at Cardigan Academy, we really strive to be trauma informed. That would be so helpful because that early attachment mm -hmm. bonding is so important that if a, little, if a little squirt of nasal spray could, you know, right. make a difference, we should absolutely be doing this. Right. I know a lot of people that can use some <laughs> nasal spray and some empathizing in this world. <laughs> That's going to be you and me. Some people walk around with mace and we're going to be like, here, be nice. <laughs> Got something for you. <laughs> Somebody gets all cranky with a cashier or someone in retail or food source or service. And we're like, okay, seems like you could use a little help. You're having a bad day here. <laughs> you just got oxytocin. Speaking of that, there are several ways. I have an article that I will also link to from psychology today, but there are several ways to naturally increase your oxytocin. So we said hugs and specifically 20 second hugs and eight hugs a day. But some other things I have on um, the list here are to look and listen to someone when you're having a conversation. So that full on focus, uh, similar to me looking at my baby when I was breastfeeding and just mm. kind of taking a moment, you know, so maybe your kid comes to you and they want to talk to you about Minecraft for the hundredth time that day and you just take a minute to really look at them and listen and think how much you love them while you're listening and then you're getting an oxytocin rush during the conversation. That's perfect because I was actually going to say I was going to ask what would you suggest what if somebody like there have been people during the pandemic for example who have been by themselves they've lived by themselves the past 15 months and have not been able to be with other people so then what can someone in that situation do? And that's a perfect example, because even by Zoom, mm -hmm. you can look someone in the eyes, nod, respond, that body language, take time to listen. That's really good. It's basically, you know, practicing empathy. And, and we have that in our cloops, part class, part group, because we are covering a topic, but then the community aspect mm. of the healing of looking at each other and nodding and smiling and making jokes together is doing a lot of good for our brain chemicals simultaneously. That's one of my favorite parts. I just love that. 
Me too. Another one is pets. So if someone does live alone, but they have pets, mm -hmm. the same way that, you know, cuddling and hugging and loving on a person would produce oxytocin, the same thing happens with pets. And so that's part of the reason that therapy animals are so important. And we talk about this more in our episode about pets. We are always going to recommend pets for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about how much oxytocin is going to be flowing for me because I am enamored with our, our two pups. And I'm just like constantly like, you're so cute. And I pet them and I hold them and I just, and I, and I often will like, and I'm a pretty expressive person yeah. and I'll just be like, I just love you so much. How are you real? Look at those paws. Like, do you see yourself? You're real. Like, I just get really, really <laughs> excited. And, but I, it does feel like my whole body's filling up with love. I just mm -hmm. look at these little faces and I'm like, I love you so much. And it is your brain <laughs> and your blood is flooding with oxytocin. It's awesome. Where I may have other neurotransmitters that need a little help, this one is in full swing. <laughs> oh, that makes sense because you, you're so good at empathizing and connecting with people. Oh, thank you. Another suggestion is to give a gift, which comes up in our love language workshop. We just offered it and I'm sure we'll offer it again in the future. If you're interested, you can check it out on our website, cardiganacademy.com. But it makes sense that giving and receiving gifts is one of the love languages because of oxytocin. Um, this is one that's interesting, Stacy. There was a study that when people are interacting on social media, 100% of the people that they studied had an increase in oxytocin. Really? So, I mean, social media, it's social, right? So even though it's virtual. That's the thing. I was thinking the other day, like, there, it reminds me of the other articles we talk about, like about millennials or the pandemic or how hard things have been, that sometimes the focus from so many articles is on the negative. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say the negative. The, the very real struggles yeah. that people have, but sometimes you don't always hear that. And also, right. people are, some people are thriving or, you know, whatever. And there are so many articles out there about social media that make me feel like I should, like, I feel bad or I feel like I should feel bad that I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But I do like social media. I like writing. I love joining different groups. I like meeting people. I like commenting and interacting and I just, I really do enjoy it. It's genuine. It's not, yeah, sometimes I'm mindlessly scrolling. I have those moments for sure, but I really do enjoy the, I like, one of the things I've noticed about it is I like that if it's someone maybe I haven't seen for a couple months that when I see them, I'm like, oh, I saw your pictures from your trip and it looked so fun. Like it's you not have a jumping off point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe it's something you're excited to talk about in person or that, and it also shows you're paying attention and mm -hmm. you're interested in them. And I, I don't know, I just, I think there's a lot of good about it that gets lost in all of those articles about the very real downsides. Um, yeah, we should do a whole podcast episode on that probably. Social media? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting. All the different kinds. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, so a couple other suggestions here are to share a meal with someone. We talk about that a lot in our parenting. Actually, both of our cloops are Therapy 101 and our parenting cloop. And pretty much every conversation mm -hmm. ever because, yeah. <laughs> because we love food. Yeah. 
you can meditate and while you're doing that focus on your love for others or maybe make someone the focus of your meditation that day and so even if they aren't in front of you you're still getting that oxytocin release and bonding with them thrill seeking are you a roller coaster rider no okay no me neither but um <laughs> i mean i have but i think yeah me too i get yeah. the less <laughs> it yeah. interests me but they said any sort of thrill seeking and even you know even kind of like a not a traumatic event but something where everyone's adrenaline gets ru running and then maybe you come together in a way that it all ends well there is an oxytocin release and a bonding experience through and from that interesting i think uh it's funny we joke in our house about um the expression yolo mm -hmm. <laughs> and how people have different uh meanings for that like they assign different interpretations of that so some people are like yolo i'm gonna thrill seek and we are probably all of us in our family i think are a little bit more on the cautious side so we are like yolo <laughs> you have one that's life the, like gonna that's be a reason i don't skydive <laughs> exactly <laughs> yes <laughs> well and i think that's similar to social media like if it's something mm -hmm. that is flooding your brain with the positive neurotransmitters for some people that's thrill seeking for some people that's connecting with people on social media do what brings you joy but don't feel like it's odd if either of those things aren't your cup of tea either because we're all different yeah then that gets back to all the other things we've talked about like myers-briggs and enneagram and yeah oxytocin is released anytime we have sexual intimacy and they are doing mm -hmm. studies to see if that is what leads us as humans to at times choose to be monogamous which is interesting that is interesting especially because you're hearing more and more about polyamory so mm -hmm. i wonder it'd be interesting to hear about these different studies and well and maybe it's just that you're bonded with several people simultaneously mm -hmm. which is okay too it's more about the bonds of those individual relationships instead of the monogamy interesting yeah that no that totally makes sense it's a, it's a topic i'm really i find really interesting there was a study where researchers recruited 404 which is such this number like i don't know <laughs> it makes me think of like file not found <laughs> but they recruited 404 healthy adults and they monitored for how often they were hugged. And then, and this is all pre-COVID, and this is not COVID-19 advice, to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> they quarantined the participants and, and this is wild, intentionally infected them with a cold virus. And they, the study showed that those who were hugged more frequently had less severe illness. Mm. And that may speak to maybe there's a little bit of a healing component to that. I mean, that's a pretty small study, but maybe something to explore further. Definitely. There's so many things connected to it. I made a list here. Bliss, calm, safe, nurturing, trust, empathy, being euphoric, and then we get drowsy too. Oh. Sleep well, we probably feel safe. So anything you can do to increase your oxytocin before bedtime, give you more restful sleep. That does speak to some of the things we mentioned earlier, like breastfeeding. I always really enjoyed nursing my babies a lot. Like I love it. And mm -hmm. um, that could sometimes just be such a calming activity. And yeah, for both of you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sex, sex. Yeah. So many things about our bedtime <laughs> routine, right? Like yeah. a warm bath and cuddling. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. So that's all we have for oxytocin. <laughs> and you didn't, you didn't say it incorrectly once. Way to go. I'm almost disappointed. I, <laughs> I wanted to hear you edit it in. <laughs> Do you have an extracurricular? I do. I have one that I'm smiling ear to ear because I, I love stuff like this. Like, <laughs> so I was watching The Middle, thanks to Les, who told me about this show, and I love it. And there was an episode that had Dick Van Dyke. And I was like, I love when I'm watching something and I start to wonder how old this person is. You know, I, I don't know. Just I go down these rabbit holes on Internet Movie Database. Mm -hmm. I love that website. So I found out that Dick Van Dyke at the time of filming was, I forget, 90 something years old. But when I looked this up, I was like, how? Because he's very limber. <laughs> he's mm -hmm. just like in Mary Poppins and he was in Mary Poppins Returns. Yeah. Manuel Miranda. He's very uh, flexible and limber. And, you know, so that's not what you usually think of all the time when someone's in their 90s. So I was like, how does he do it? So to the internet I went as, as as I do and I found out that I found this article where they interviewed him and at the time he was 95 and it said he's you know at 95 he's still taking on acting jobs and it said you know it's like what's his secret it was a um the whole article was looking at celebrities over 90 mm -hmm. to see if the trick to longevity lies in their diets there was no discernible pattern that they could find but I had so much fun reading through this article and learning these things that I sent it to my family and now I'm sharing it here. Bob Barker, at the time of the article, he was 97 and is a vegetarian. So, mm -hmm. so here it seems like, okay, maybe it's diet. And then you get to Betty White, who is a national treasure. I love her. And at the time was 99. She regularly lunches on a hot dog and French fries, <laughs> as well as Red Whips and a vodka on the rocks. <laughs> I want to have a vodka on the rocks with Betty White. <laughs> right? She's just, I just, oh, I love her so much. And she's so youthful. And I thought, oh, it's because she spends so much time with animals. Like, she's a big animal person. Maybe that's the secret. Well, yeah, but... Bob Barker was always telling us to spay and neuter our pets. That's right. Okay, we're going we're gonna to change the study. <laughs> it's not about their diets at <laughs> all. Although I did find this really interesting. She, so she would have, um, uh, Red Whips and a vodka on the rocks with plenty of lemon before dinner. And then in 2015, they, they went back to a previous interview and nearly 90 year old Dick Van Dyke admitted to eating, this blows my mind, he admitted to eating a pint of ice cream every night before bed. <laughs> and it is specifically Haagen-Dazs vanilla topped with chocolate syrup. <laughs> So, you know, here I am thinking it's going to, you know, maybe he's vegan and does yoga. Mm -hmm. No, no, it's Haagen-Dazs and chocolate <laughs> syrup, kids. <laughs> and the other thing that he eats to contribute to his vim and vigor is that they, I guess maybe they wanted to say something healthy in this article. <laughs> so they said, despite a love for fried chicken, also, <laughs> he eats blueberries every day for mm. their antioxidants. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> it just cracks me up when people are like, I eat blueberries for antioxidants. And every night before bed, I have a pint of Haagen-Dazs <laughs> with chocolate syrup. <laughs> and it also mentioned that um, his wife is 46 years younger and that keeps him spry. Which... Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs>
But this was really fascinating to me. So this deep dive I did on Dick Van Dyke, he talked about overcoming bad habits. So here he is in his 90s. And apparently he spent decades drinking alcohol and smoking to the point that a, dis a doctor discovered scars on his lungs related to emphysema. Whoa. So he quit and they said, this makes his longevity more impressive. And the story that really blew my mind, because it was thing after thing, it was like the ice cream, his diet, then this, that they found emphysema. And then it said, um, so staying active has always been important, but he was on the set in 1967 of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and he he had an injury, and when they did the X-ray, it led to the diagnosis of extensive rheumatoid arthritis. Oh. He was 42 at the time, and his doctor delivered the devastating prognosis that he would probably be confined to a wheelchair <gasps> within five years. Oh my gosh. At 42, and you see him dancing now mm -hmm. in his 90s. So, he said that um, activity is what help, keeps him healthy as long as he keeps moving. And, and by the way, he does do yoga. <laughs> He's, his quote was, as long as I keep moving and doing my yoga, I'm okay. And I remember years ago learning that um, flexibility is, it's been shown to, to be tied to longevity. So maybe as long as you do yoga, yeah. you can eat all the ice cream you want. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a plan. I always love listening to podcasts and hearing what people are watching. And so I have just a recommendation for a series on Hulu called Cruel Summer. Um, it's not one to watch with the kids, I would say, unless you have, I can't remember what it's rated, maybe later teens, but it's a little bit of a psychological thriller. But the reason I'm recommending it is because it's set in three consecutive summers. I think it's 93, 94, and 95. And they are teenagers. So it's very close to the age I was in the 90s. And just the way they decorate their rooms and the music they're listening to and the clothes they're wearing really took me back. And so if anyone else out there wants to trigger some walks down memory lane while watching a show that's pretty enjoyable and I think it is also getting renewed for a second season so I love nostalgia factor mm -hmm. in shows because that's why I love freaks and geeks and part of it is I feel like they really really captured the 80s Goldbergs too like they mm -hmm. there's just some great whenever they can capture something especially from our childhoods I think that's always a lot of fun yeah If you're interested in learning more about parenting, education, and mental health from our therapist teacher team, check us out at cardiganacademy.com. And we are also on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.